and we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 201, aka season 3, episode 21, uh, coming at you this week. As always, I'm your host, Mr. Richie Rich, along with MC. And since this is a call-in show, uh, hopefully, hopefully within the next couple days, uh, we'll get some more callers who are aware of the show. Uh, those numbers for you are 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. Uh, so what is going on with you this week, MC? Oh, I just noticed, uh, you know, shit's about to go down in Venezuela. Holy um, crap balls. And I, it, it, there's there's been a flurry of posts from uh, the, the Ron Paul for, uh, Institute for uh, Freedom and something. But anyway, it's kind of a long name. But uh, so Ron Paul's pissed. <clears throat> I'll bet he is. So what he's upset about is the U.S. government getting involved, which I, I assume they were for a long time and maybe even... Um, maybe even helped Maduro gain power. I, I'm not really 100% sure. Um, that's the conspiracy theory. Okay. Um, that, that would so, make sense. There, there's, a, there's a long history of, you know, uh, instituting and then deposing dictators who fall out of favor. Right. Or, or maybe their whole plan all along was just to de- destabilize it and uh, get cheap oil. Um, I don't know. But, well, um, okay. So, if the I think the latest interview from was his name John Bolton basically confirmed that it's it's about the oil, like they're oh yeah, that, yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Um, and and it's really sad because, um, you know, just like how, uh, slaves picking cotton wasn't uh, uh su- super important to to the economy, you know. After we have new innovations, um, oil is going to go the same way. Um, so there's like a lot of, uh, yeah, death and destruction going around just because <laughs> some, uh, you know, old, outdated uh, thinking. But um, so anyway, Ron Paul's pissed off, and he, he's posting a lot of stuff about how uh, the the U.S. is. Uh, not doing the right thing and uh it's gonna turn out bad for venezuelans and but i know people well not not know people but i've I've met some people from venezuela that are in venezuela now and i've talked to them and and uh like i like i said before venezuela it's it's not all about freedom a lot of it is about power so but anyway they want maduro gone and I, I totally agree with them. I understand why they want Maduro gone, and and they're they're willing to uh, accept U.S. involvement to get him gone. And it's not just him, but it's also uh, Chinese imperialists and Russian imperialists and uh, the, the Cubans involved too. Um, so it's it's a it's a bigger, more complicated problem than just uh, one dude sitting on a chair with a fancy hat um well he also escaped with all the gold did you see that about it as well he escaped what do you mean well like he disappeared for a little bit and and the gold like the venezuela gold holdings disappeared for a little bit oh. and then all of a sudden he came back and was like okay now i'm ready for negotiate now i'm ready to negotiate because all of a, <laughs> all of a sudden it's like well where's all the gold you know okay um yeah, so I'm not really worried about him or the gold. Uh, it's 
So my solution is a little bit different. Okay. Um, because so what? What anyway? The the guy from Venezuela said that that uh, yeah, we're going to need guns and tanks and airplanes and all this stuff uh, to de defeat Maduro. But um, I don't know why you need like an entire army when you could just like disassociate with with them. Um, so basically, uh, you know, don't operate in the cities, go out to the country, whatever. There's nothing in the city anyway. There's no, there's no stores. You can't buy anything. Um, it's, it's propped up by socialism still, you know, uh, right. electricity, housing. Um, I don't know if they have bread lines, but. Well, they uh, have to have bread to have bread lines. Right. So I don't even think they have <laughs> bread, uh, but it's you know a lot of things are are propped up by by the socialist uh, government and maybe they think yeah. they need those things but at the same time it's like uh you have to stop using the free stuff at some point um and just say you know believe in yourself that you could do better without it so um and I'm and I'm not saying don't take advantage of any government program that that that's out there I mean do whatever works best for you but um but anyway, my advice would be to try to do stuff with without interference uh, if you can. And so set up a market somewhere else besides the city that uh, the government is holed up in. Um, and if the government comes around, then try to def defend it or or hide for a little while until they leave. You know, start start a commotion somewhere else, and then you can open your market back up or whatever. But um, that's probably being uh, super simplistic and 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 stupid. But <laughs> um, well, it's so, generally but, but, not bad advice. But my my solution is everybody there should have an AK forty seven, and part of the problem is is they don't. They don't have any guns, and the government has all the guns. Um, so the 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 method that is most popular right now is the people of Venezuela, uh, you know, cheering on uh, outside governments to come in and destroy uh, Maduro. But um, what they don't understand is that's it's still going to leave them with not much. I mean, I, I'm sure it'll get it can't get much worse than it is now. Like whatever yeah. happens, it'll be better. Uh, but um, it would be better if the people of Venezuela could do it themselves. Yeah. And so the one thing I haven't seen is Venezuelans going, hey, uh, donate some guns uh, so we can defend ourselves or, or you know, donate to us so we can, you know, overthrow Maduro. I haven't seen that very much. There's There's been lots of protests in the streets, but it's, I mean, they've done it over and over, and obviously Maduro isn't listening. So protest is... Doing the same thing over and over is, is is stupid at this point, right? Um, so it you know if if you could give all those people that are protesting AK forty sevens, what would that look like? Um, and it would, would probably they... look like a massacre because you know say what you want about armed revolution, there's still civilians with AK forty sevens going up against a somewhat trained military force. Sure, but at, but what at that point though would all those people even be in the city in big groups? You know, I don't sure. think they would. They would just be off doing their own thing and, and carrying it around AK forty seven while they're doing it. Okay. So, and that's kind of my point is that that uh, uh, it's 
you know, focusing so much on, on the government and say, you know, is, is like saying that, well, the government is the only way to do, do business and the only way to, you know, whatever. It's just to, to me, I mean, there's, there's still people living in Venezuela. They're, they're finding ways to, to find food and, and trade and, you know, do black market stuff because obviously the, the, the money is, is, is almost impossible to use. So, um, they're doing it anyway. Um, so yeah, it's just, anyway, that's my two cents. Yeah. Well, and again, part of it, like you said, is the mentality of the people there, right? If, if you don't start with the freedom and liberty mentality, then when the government, you know, starts to falter, um, the solution you look for is someone else to replace them, right? Like Maduro was, you know, came from somewhere, you know, to, you know, to take power. And then everyone was all excited when he took power, right? Did, um, was it? Uh, who was it? Noam Chomsky, right? Mm-hmm. Was a big fan of Maduro. Oh, look how socialism's done right in Venezuela. Uh, just you know, a decade ago, and I think Michael Moore is also on record as as praising the socialist you know system that Venezuela had, you know, use, utilizing all their oil reserves uh, to to give back to the people. Uh, but if the people have that mindset, then yeah, then they're of course going to look for another government. Um, to replace the one that's that's failing. Whereas if, like they said, like if you said, if they had more of a freedom mentality, a liberty mindset, um, they might be okay going off and, and running their own business and doing their own thing out in, you know, in the countryside until, you know, until such a time that it's safe and, and profitable to move back into the city. Um, but one of the reasons, like, you know, we talked about, was it last show or the show before, um, over, you know, having a, a, a an overthrow of, of the, you know, a, a military coup, basically, to overthrow the government, why it wouldn't work is because the people aren't clamoring for freedom. They don't care. They don't want it. You know, you can overthrow the government and set everyone free and they, they, they wouldn't know what to do because they don't, they're not ready. They're not ready for it yet. Uh, so they get what they get, you know, and, and the ones, you know, that are smart enough to set up shop outside the city and trade and, you know, survive, basically, are the ones that are going to, you know, be around in the end when when the new government when the new united states imposed government um is in place right then then like you said we'll see what happens yeah um so yeah it'll be it'll be interesting at least um so you know if we end up sending five thousand troops uh it'll it'll probably fail um so there's there's already china and russia involved in it and they're putting a lot of you know effort into uh trying to control their oil too i guess um and wouldn't that be interesting world war three over venezuela <laughs> like china the united states and russia all go to war to get venezuela's oil yeah and i and i don't think i don't think it'll come to that um but yeah, I mean, some somebody, I think somebody is gonna eventually get control of the oil, and and it's, I, I don't know, I, <laughs> well, I guess we'll have to see. Well, and one of those three, you know, I'm gonna call them superpowers, is gonna have to blink first because if they're all vying for it, right? You know, say the United States sends in five thousand people, and you say it'll fail, but what is the goal, right? Five thousand people could theoretically take over the Venezuelan government, but not if there's, you know, troops and support coming in from China and Russia, you know, then, then you've got like a battle on your hands. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think Russia and China are necessarily going to send troops in. Okay. And, 
and that's I think that's the difference. So they're they they've got like secret uh secret service type of people, uh China and, and Russia. Okay. So in which case, what is the goal for the United States? Because if you send in 5,000 troops and then fail to take over, but you set up a base, you set up, you know, prolonged occupation, and then you just keep funneling troops in, right? I mean, the United States has a history of doing that, too. Yeah. And yeah. calling that and success. Well, I don't know if they call it a success, but they, they, they keep doing it. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, you know, when, they'll do that in Afghanistan. They're still doing it, you know. <laughs> do they still have, I think they at one point still had bases in Korea as well, right? And that was like 50 years, 70 years ago. Well, no, no, yeah, we they, just have yeah, bases. We, yeah, we still have bases in South yeah. Korea. So what's the point of that? Like what, you know, where's where do you check off the, you know, bring the troops home from Korea? Because uh, they've got it under control over there now, too. Right. At what point does can we like officially declare an end to that, you know, war where we don't need troops there 70 years from now in the, you know, in the year 2100 or whatever. And the United States still has troops in Venezuela over this little conflict. And you go like, well, was that a failure? Was it a success? Depends what the goal is. (laughs) The goal is just to control the oil. Then, yeah, troops going in and failing with a prolonged occupation is definitely going to be a success. Anything else? Mm, no, I, I, I guess, I mean, I, I would, I would like to help people, um, gain their independence in, in Venezuela, but, uh, I just, I think that, uh, <laughs> I don't, yeah, the, 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 the machine is, um, uh, doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and, and that's, that's what Ron Paul points out a lot is that, is that the, the propaganda machine is, uh, you know, making people ask ask for the wrong things, and, yeah. I, and at this point, I I I don't have a a good solution for it. So it's like, what whatever the U.S. does, um, you know, pe- people in Venezuela are going to be yeah. cheering for it. People in the U.S. are going to be cheering for it. So they've succeeded in their their mission, their their propaganda mission. Sure. And I'm going to throw some shade for a minute and say, much like the pre-show. Right, you can't help those who don't want to be helped. You you can get them all the way to the end, and then they go like, "Nope, we like we still like it the way it is." I give up, throwing in the towel. And if you do that with Venezuelans, right, you go like, "Hey, you can have a better way. There's something better out there." They go, "No, we really like that socialism when it first started. Can we just reboot that and start that up again?" Off you go. So take all their oil away. So you can't have the oil, and you can have total freedom after that. And hey, that that would be a fair trade. So, on that note, oh man, I don't know if I can pull this up in, in time. So on that note, um, I have a buddy on Facebook, and uh, my buddy on Facebook is like, he used to be uh, what we would call like a uh, like a Ron Paul libertarian. Like he was a big fan of Ron Paul. He was a big fan, um, like a constitutionalist, I guess. And for, you know, for a while I was, I always, it was always weird for me because I go like, how do you not make that transition, right? To like, to, to, to anarchism, right? How do you want all that liberty and all that freedom and then like not see the rest of the way? And then he posted this. So I'm calling his ass out too. So he put a video up. It's like a leopard versus a warthog. And the leopard was like, you know, caught up to the warthog and ate, ate it. And he posted this, Hakuna Matata, it means no worries for the rest of your days. The warthog not really singing that song right now. 100 times out of 100, I'd rather be a modern domesticated pig 
than a pig in the wild. Go out with a shot to the head or run the death race of your life. And if you lose, you get eaten alive while you're exhausted. Uh, where's Peter when you need him? So I commented, that explains why you're not an anarchist. And he laughed because it's true. So basically, you know, he, he much like, you know, the Venezuelans, uh, for, to continue that comparison, uh, likes, likes the status quo, likes the way it is, does not want uh, the freedom, the animating contest of liberty. Is that what Alex Jones says all the time? You know, they, they prefer the, the servitude, uh, the domestication, uh, the socialism in, in Venezuelan's case uh, over, over the freedom uh, to get out there and to, to, you know, give it a shot in nature, um, or just, you know, that lifestyle. I guess it's not, it's not like we, you know, have to go out and just, you know, live a life outside in the outdoors and the wilderness and all that. I mean, I live in an apartment, I live in the city, um, but I'd still prefer, you know, freedom to not freedom. Um, and, uh, I'm going to transition one more time because the other thing that I wanted to bring up, I don't have, I don't have the articles in front of me. I didn't post it as show prep. It was just a couple of a couple of things to once again in my mind highlight the difference. So, in your state, MC, out there in Hawaii, there was a recent article posted where uh, they're contemplating banning cigarette sales completely. Mm. Did you catch that? Yeah. Okay. And I go, what the hell's wrong with those people? Right. Like, so glad I moved. And then, like, you know. Uh, later in the day, maybe maybe a couple hours by the time I checked it, someone from um, here, New Hampshire, where I do the show from, posted an article on cigarettes as well, and it's like, New Hampshire gets an F rating. I was like, on what? Like, what could it possibly be? And it was basically like, you know, a status-type article where New Hampshire's rated F uh, on, like, uh, cessation programs and, and help for smokers and, you know, campaigns against smoking and all that other stuff. And I went... Well, that's a good F, right? That's a freedom. That's an F for freedom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because the difference is here, there, number one, there's no state, there's, you know, there's less of a state, uh, less taxes from the state um, going to stopping people from being adults, right? And not even close to thinking about completely banning uh, cigarette sales at all. So uh, your thoughts, MC? on you know hawaii taking it one step too close to the edge uh banning attempting to ban not not in effect yet but even the contemplation right the floating of the balloon uh of a of a permanent cigarette ban statewide how do you feel about that whether you smoke or not because i don't um i well the same thing i think about everything they do you know it's like uh they've got nothing better to do um and yes, <laughs> whether they think they're doing good or not, it's like, it's kind of irrelevant. Um, yeah. Are, are people still going to find a way to smoke if they got to, or are they going to leave the island? You know, I don't, I mean, yeah, they don't care. <laughs> they don't care about people. That's always a weird thing, right? Like to me, so one of the things that I notice here that, makes me a little bit scared and I, I i contemplate this because my my anarchist experience um based on the way that i currently choose to like live my lifestyle does not put me in the crosshairs of the state on a regular basis right i don't protest i don't vote 
I don't, you know, I don't go testify in front of Congress or anything like that. I don't participate in party politics um, at all. And then I got, you know, so I'm like, what, what's left um, on that, like, you know, on that freedom train where it would open up a lot for me. And, and I'm not, I'm not discounting this either. Right. But I don't, I don't smoke weed and I don't do drugs. So I don't, it's not that I don't want those things to be legal for everybody else, but it's not, it's not an area that impacts me daily. What does impact me daily is like being on the road, right? Cause I, you know, I am forced as much as I hate to use that word. Um, and it's, and it's the wrong word, but you know what I mean? But I have to, uh, you know, it, to, in order to get to work to and from places and, and go shopping, whatever, like I have to get on the road. And that's really the only place where the state has the opportunity um, to like impede in my life. And one of the things that I've learned from being here is speed limits um, are ignored completely. So if I go the speed limit, I'm going like 15 to 20 miles an hour slower than the rest <laughs> of the traffic. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, which is fine. So I speed, I keep up with traffic. Um, you know, unless it's, unless there's no one else on the highway and it's just me, um, I keep up with traffic cause it's safer that way. So my, what I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tie this into the cigarette thing is because the conspiracy theory in my head goes, they do that for a reason, right? Like culturally the speed limit is like 70, 75, but the posted sign is like 50, which means at any time that the state needs like a little bit of bump in revenue, they just all go out and ticket everybody who would ordinarily just be going to work, right? They could, there'd be no, there's no reason not to at that point, right? You just, you've put out an officer, he's got a radar gun. All of a sudden, you know, you're up a couple hundred bucks on the day because everyone is speeding. There's not a car that drives by that will be going the speed limit should you want to stop him. Uh, and so I go like, well, that's the, that, that's the trick you. That makes like everyone on the road a criminal that can be arrested and, you know, harassed at any time. And just like the cigarette law, right, will people find a way to smoke? Absolutely. Um, will black market cigarettes be available? Absolutely. Will they enforce the no smoking bans, you know, statewide? Like, you know, is it, if it's just on sales, you have to assume that people who are smoking uh, rolled their own, right? Or, you know, how uh, acquired it by some magic because it's not that's not the part that's illegal. Uh, but it's, if they do make that illegal, like no smoking illegal, then all of a sudden all those smokers are de facto criminals which means at any time that's one more reason that the state has to you know to roll up on somebody and harass them for something as innocuous as having a cigarette but because it's illegal you know they can check the papers they can pat you down they can go through stuff they can ask you questions and and you know to me it's just it it, it may be a conspiracy theory uh, but the 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 more crimes you have on the book the easier it is to pick up people for doing you know criminal activity and much like, you know, we talked about, um, you know, with some uh, some other Facebook posts over the last couple of weeks, um, not everything that is a crime is immoral, right? Like, I, I, I personally choose not to smoke. I don't have a problem with people who choose to smoke, even around me. Like, I'm not one of those, like, yeah, my faith is secondhand type of person either. I just, like, whatever. Uh, if, it, if it bothers me, I'll move because, you know, it's my responsibility. Um, but to me, it's just another way for them to, to, you know, to, to wrap people up and make all activity, criminal activity, um, 
so that when they need the revenue, you know, they, they have a, they have a built-in source ready to go after it. Uh, any thoughts on my conspiracy theory, MC? <laughs> what was the conspiracy? But, um, uh, cr- there was criminalizing a- innocuous behavior so that there's, so that it, it de facto makes everyone a criminal. And therefore, well, I, I, I think that's what happens, but I don't think they do that in, intentionally. I think, I think they're busybodies and, and they, they think they know what's better for people than, than the people themselves. Uh, and that's, yeah, they're, they're a bunch of, uh, uh, what's, what's the words? So sociopaths and sociopaths uh, and psychopaths and, uh, uh, e- egomaniacs, you know, they, they think they know better. Um, you know, screw that. <laughs> yeah. Even to, even to the point, like, I want to go back to the traffic thing real quick. Cause I think it went into effect at the beginning of January. Um, so it's a law here now that, okay. So I, not, not that I'm a, I'm a big fan of like there ought to be a law, um, but it's it's a law that basically encodes what I would consider to be common sense driving practices, um, and and it's often ignored in Hawaii as well, and that's the uh, the I'm going to say common sense, common courtesy even, uh, drive right, pass left philosophy, right? Okay. You drive in the right lane when you get up to a car that's going slower than yours. You pass them on the left, and then you move back over to the right, right? That's like, mm-hmm. that's, it doesn't have to be a law, um, and not that it should be a law, but it's definitely common courtesy. Like, if, you, if, if, you, if you're in the left lane and you get caught up on from behind, you should yield the right away. And I say should, not legally mandated to. So they, they passed a law here uh, in the beginning of January that cars in the left lane uh, must cede the right of way uh, and move back over to the right lane um, to not impede traffic. Um, and I went, well, that's weird. You know, like, I don't see the practical application of that. So I read I read more into it. Um, and it basically says that, but if you're going below the speed limit, right? And I go, well, this doesn't apply anywhere. Because like I said <laughs> <Yeah>. earlier, <laughs> I everyone's going... Like I said, they're just going to pass a law just because they, they feel like it and... Right, uh, they're, but they, they're they busy. can't. It's it's unenforceable. Yeah, like there's there's literally no one going, um, you know, below the speed. Yeah, limit below. Yeah, there's nobody in the yeah. left lane to begin with, let alone impeding traffic. Yeah, like if if you're in the left lane going the speed limit, you are definitely impeding traffic, and yet this new law, you can't even be pulled over for that because the law says below the speed limit. You know, so if you're going 50 in the left lane, everyone who's going 70, 75 wants your ass to get out of the way. But even if a cop comes behind, that's not the, you're not breaking that law because you were going the speed limit. So I, so like I said, it's it's like you know, or like you said, a, a law for law's sake, criminalizing stuff that d- ought not be criminalized, um, just for the sake of attempting to create more criminals, in my opinion, um, so that they always have something to bust you for later. <laughs> yeah. Even even during the the cold front, right? There was like a tweet from some Minnesota precinct or whatever that basically said, like, you know, all criminal and illegal activity is prohibited uh, during the winter storm, right? Oh, good, right? You know, because because it's too cold and they don't want to go out there and you know deal with the, the so they're banning crime uh, while it's cold. <laughs> cool. You get I mean, the asininity in that. It's like it's yeah, already yeah. illegal, right? Um, but now it's super so illegal. I had to bring up something else. So in Hawaii, you, you mentioned they were thinking about 
banning uh, uh, all cigarette tobacco, sales. yeah, cigarette sales. Um, they they actually already did ban um, the the flavored nic- uh, nicotine uh, va- vapes. So oh it's like snap! Fruit fruit flavored because um, they're marketed towards children. I, I guess. So yeah, if you want to make some money, import some. There's, there's people that like them. <laughs> Just Shoot, dude, we can talk about that off the air. I'll put together a care package for you. You just tell me what flavors you need and in what quantity. Yeah, exactly. What's that? I don't know how much those things go for, but I'll give you like two ounces of vape for 20 bucks. <laughs> That's like a whole pack of cigarettes for like the whole day. Well, welcome to the black market, kid. Like I said, that's the, that's the stuff that I would love to do. That's, you know, we, we, we talked about it before. Like a lot of, I'm going to, I'm going to say shady underground black market, gray market stuff. I do like, not because never because I'm particularly good at the thing that I'm doing or because I particularly enjoy it. Um, but more so, uh, because it's like technically illegal, right? Like I've, I've, you know, uh, in the past I've considered myself like a, an unlicensed masseuse, uh, because for a while, uh, you know, I, I was being paid to give massages as good as I can give them, which apparently was worthy of being paid for. Um, but if you're going to license masseuses, I'm just going to give massages for less than you ha- you can charge uh, and call myself a professional. So there's, a, you know, so there's a lot of stuff like that, right? You know, pro- professional unlicensed alcohol salesman for underage kids. Right. If you got the money, I'll buy you that stuff. Not because I care, not because like, oh, my gosh, I really want you to have this. But I go like, you know what? If it's against the law and I can do it on the underground, let's have some fun, make a couple bucks and, you know, and let's do that. So, yeah. So, like I said, if if, if, if people in Hawaii uh, need some flavored vapes, I'm just going to post that on Facebook later. Hawaii vape, flavored vape Hawaii peeps, let me know. I'll send you a care package. For a fee, of course. I need my commissions. Anything else tobacco related? Nope. All right. Shall we get into to articles? Like I said, I didn't have much this week. It's been a pretty slow week. I'm still very excited for tomorrow, and I'm not talking about the Super Bowl because uh, we do, we do the show on Saturday, and I'm still still slated, barring a tragedy, uh, to to be on the flagship show for LRN.FM. Um, a little nervous at the same time, but you know, getting prepared. All right, articles. Sure. Headlines: Beer versus bureaucracy. Uh, headline: If you still think the shutdown proves government is important, you're seeing what you want to see. Uh, headline: Those who can't do demand. Headline: In Canada, there is no defense against eminent domain. Uh, headline, price gouging is supply and demand at work, even in a polar vortex. Ooh, this one would be fun. Uh, Kamala Harris, prices are inhumane. Excuse me. And finally, headline, when red tape hits the homeless, San Diego charity loses, uh, excuse me, San Diego charity closes due to new restrictions. Uh, any place in particular you want to start this week, MC? Oh, anywhere's fine. All right, we'll go with the government shutdown thing since that just, uh, I think, I think they reopened within within the last week. So, like, they were closed during our last show, and now they're reopened again. So, if you still think the government shutdown proves government is important, you're seeing what you want to see. 
a lot of what government does is better done by somebody else or not at all. The theatrical federal government semi-shutdown is now over, or at least on hiatus. While the dominant political tribes in D.C. take a break from posturing to pay a few bills, and I admit I'm honestly sad to see the end of an inconvenience to government workers, uh, even as media pundits lamented the plight of federal employees waiting on delayed paychecks, it became increasingly obvious that many of their tasks are unnecessary, better performed by the private sector, or downright dangerous. Illustrating the theatrical and unnecessary nature of much of the shutdown was a story in my local paper about National Park Service rangers finding trespassers at sites including the Montezuma Well Indian Ruins. These sites were closed because 22 employees were furloughed and volunteers also can't return to work because reasons, I suppose. Uh, But Montezuma Well is free to enter, and the small ranger station there is often unstaffed. The four officers still patrolling may well be the most official activity the place has seen. Unlike patrolling locations that are frequently unguarded, air traffic control is a job that needs to be done. So it was troubling when the Federal Aviation Administration announced that unpaid federally employed controllers were calling in sick, creating delays at airports. But why, but why are we dependent on the government for air traffic control? After all, an important recent report from the U.S. Department of Transportation's own Inspector General pointed out that Canada, the United Kingdom, Germany, and France commercialized their air traffic operations via independent air navigation service providers that are financially self-supporting. The reports added that the United States could learn from their experience. The various foreign approaches studied in the report range from government-owned corporations to for-profit partnerships. All the operations are funded independent of government taxes and appropriations, meaning that they can continue to function uh, through the overseas equivalent of the Trump-Pelosi show. Unsurprisingly, the Airline Trade Association, Airlines for America, supports privatization. Industry analysts to say their uh, cause got a big boost from the shutdown. Of less concerns, air travel-wise, was the growing absentee rate among TSA workers, as their paycheck failed to materialize. Sure, it sucks to work for delayed compensation, but nobody conscripted them into government service. They took those jobs on their own accord, and they're very, very bad at what they do. Undercover investigators were able to smuggle mock explosives or banned weapons through checkpoints in 95% of trials, ABC News reported in 2015. Of travel safety, security expert Bruce Schneier says the two things that have made flying safer since 9-11 are reinforcing the cockpit doors and persuading passengers that they need to fight back. Everything beyond that isn't worth it. The relationship between the public and the TSA has become too poisonous and to be sustained, admits the agency former administrator Kip Hawley. Uh, TSA workers do excel, though, at abusing opportunities to rob, grope, and harass travelers. Harassment, of course, is a core responsibility for the Drug Enforcement Administration and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. Like too many law enforcement agencies, they largely exist to stop people from doing what they have every right to do, in their cases to interfere with people's rights to self-medicate and to possess the means of self-defense. Also, like too many law enforcement agencies, these two federal bureaucracies have an unpleasant record of misbehavior. The ATF is frequently guilty of rogue tactics as the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel put it, and has lost many of its own firearms while trying to regulate those belonging to the public. 
The DEA has a history of brutally partying with criminals and occasionally trafficking in contraband itself. I find it equally difficult to feel sorrow over the FBI's complaints about shutdown-induced difficulty in paying snitches and buying drugs in stings. Uh, no word yet on how the cash crunch affected the Bureau's domestic surveillance operation or its campaign against private, private encryption. Given the Bureau's checkered and politicized record, anything that slows it down could provide plenty of Americans with a feeling of relief. Uh, speaking of a cash crunch, is anybody really sorry that IRS employees suffered some financial discomfort from the sort of government shutdown? That is, I'll point out the type of experience they specialize in inflicting on others. Besides, it may not be such a bad thing if nation's tax collectors fell a bit behind in their role as political weapons wielded by the powerful against their enemies. Uh, commenting on soldiers who enlist to fight in imperialist wars, the philosopher Herbert Spencer once remarked, when men hire themselves out to shoot other men to order, asking nothing about the justice of their cause, I don't care if they are shot themselves. By comparison, it doesn't seem excessive for me uh, to me to refuse to shed tears over temporary financial inconvenience for government workers whose job, in all too many cases, pose threats to life, liberty, and property. Uh, no, the experience of working while waiting on a delayed paycheck isn't pleasant for anybody, but the private sector is also hiring, and it's perfectly capable of taking over many of the actual necessary jobs that government does. Uh, given the nasty, intrusive, and abusive nature of so many of the rest of what occupies the government's time, we should be happy to see it go unfunded. Uh, many of the tasks done by government, it turns out, are better done by somebody else, and many of the rest are, be are best not done at all. Uh, so your thoughts... On this MC, uh, any other programs uh, you think would be important to shut down again? Um, and if the TSA is as important as they say, uh, how come we don't have another 9-11 catastrophe on our hands? Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have much to comment on that. <laughs> I really don't. Um, I think we talked enough about how uh, uh, well, the whole government is pretty much unnecessary. So I just I remember some other articles like around the time of the shutdown and it might have been it might oh it might be this one the beer versus bureaucracy. Oh yeah, it is. So we we'll get to that in a minute. Um but basically uh how certain things, you know, uh like in in the next article's case beer, but in other cases uh you know drugs that are being tested by the FDA and they were like they were restricting and withholding life-saving drugs from, you know, from going to market uh, because there's nobody to approve of it. I go, well, then just take it to market. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. If there's yeah, if no the one to tell really you, no. was, if the government really was shut down, there would be no uh, impediment for you know, getting in your way. There'd be nothing there. There'd just, there would be there nothing. Would just, there. <laughs> there'd just be a market. Yeah. What's that? The government shut down. You can have any flavor of vape, you know, vape fuel you want or vape oils you want. Or any any type of beer, or you know, or, or maybe if if the government is shut down, then then the government won't uh, give you your your government grants for uh, research or whatever. I don't know. Sure, right, and that's you know that's another aspect that we we didn't cover, right? Is like what happened to all the the nonprofits out there, or the you know the quote unquote charities uh, that only exist with government handouts and government fundings, right? Like they don't, you know, they, their whole, um, income stream is based on, you know, petitioning the state for grants and money coming in. Uh, and a very small portion of that is, um, voluntarily, uh, funded 
by you know volunteers and, and contributors and backers or whatever you want to call it. No one no one talked about those uh, those organizations at all. They're just like, well, you know, you're, you're not a government organization, so now you're out on your own. Um, and what happened to them? All of a sudden, you know, probably they had to get more creative with their funding. Uh, but it should go to show that it can be done, right? There wasn't, you know, there wasn't a big clamoring of, of charities closing. They just, you know, found a way to fund it and continue on. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's do beer versus bureaucracy because it's, it's tied in and it kind of highlights uh, what I was just talking about. Uh, beer versus bureaucracy. The federal shutdown revealed some of the ways the government needlessly shackles the economy through subsidies and regulations. The microbrew industry is a microcosm of the general problem. Uh, beer companies take federal loan guarantees, and they need federal approval for business activities, such as launching new beer labels and opening facilities. Uh, the idea that we need the government providing business loans is ridiculous, uh, as discussed elsewhere, and the permitting of new facilities ought to be local government activity. As for beer labels, the Washington Post reports last year the federal government received 192,000 applications for new lines of wine, spirit, and beer, including more than 34000 for beer. Taxpayers are paying for goodness knows how many high-paid bureaucrats to study 192,000 bottle labels a year. That seems absurd. Uh, even if federal re- review of labels made sense, but why do we need a system of pre-clearance? Why don't we at least allow companies to proceed with their new products without delay, but allow for later review by the bureaucracy for non-compliant labels as suspected. Uh, Here is the Washington Post on the shutdown's disruption of small brewers. Chris Burns thought he had escaped the uncertainty of working for the federal government when he left his IT contracting job five years ago to open a craft brewery in the D.C. suburbs. But even with the government shutdown over for now, he cannot widely distribute two new beers and had to cancel the release of a third. He could also face delays opening a second location. It's been real, Burns, the owner of Old Ox Brewery in Ashburn, Virginia, said about the consequences of the 35-day shutdown. Uh, President Trump and congressional lawmakers reached a short-term deal Friday, but the pain isn't over for the nation's craft brewers. They lost revenue that they will never recoup and will continue to lose money while they wait for federal agencies to process labels, brewery permits, and small business loans to clear a backlog built during built up during the shutdown. Uh, during the closure, the Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau within the Treasury Department stopped approving new labels, hamstringing businesses that consistently churn out new products. Uh, growth in our industry is driven by innovation, says Bill Butcher, the founder of Port City Brewing Company in Alexandria. If we can't introduce new beers into the market, it stalls our business. His company spent the last four months of 2018 planning, release, and production schedules for six new beers. The shutdown threw those plans out the window, he said. Uh, Last year, the federal government received 192,000 applications for new lines of wine, spirits, beers, including 34,000 for beer. Uh, Colorado brewer Zach Rissmiller recently contracted with a Baltimore brewer to produce beer under the name 1623 Brewing Company, a reference to the distance between him and his Maryland-based business partner and cousin. They ordered a big batch planned to sell it in the D.C. area, Northern Virginia, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania, and submitted their label application. Three days later, the government shut down. They're sitting on a thousand cases worth about $30,000 with a shelf life of 120 days. Burns Family, which owns the brewery, recently purchased a new building in Middleburg, Virginia, for a tasting room and a second brewery. 
it needs a permit from the federal government to open, they could lose $40,000 to $75,000 for every month it languishes. Uh, Port City Brewing made a $2 million investment in a new bottling line financed by a small business administration loan. During the shutdown, the SB, SBA was closed, and Butcher couldn't lock in an interest rate, potentially costing him thousands of dollars. Uh, back to the Cato article. I enjoyed Port City's excellent beer Saturday night in Alexandria and with friends Dan and Kimberly, but we were surprised that the facility does not serve any food. We asked the bartender why, and he said, we stick to what we do best. I suggest the same for the federal government. Stick to the basic constitutional duty of ensuring an open national economy and get out of business loans, beer labels, and needless micromanaging of American industry. All right, end of the article. I don't know if you have uh, much more to add about that, MC. Uh, do you like beer? Um, beer's okay. Yeah, yeah. I like, I, I drink, uh, I drink some beer. I've been known to, uh, <laughs> enjoy some, you know, um, yeah, I, I try not to do it alone. <laughs> sure. Um, so yeah, socially, um, yeah, it's pretty popular, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think it's silly that there is a, you know, you have to pre-approve your, your label, label, um, um, I, I'm also against any type of fine if your label happens to be wrong. Uh, yeah, it's it's really weird. It's like, uh, the, you know, beer companies that they, they assume are not grown up enough to make a label correctly. You know. <laughs> wow, there. You know, there there are some pretty funny labels out there. If you if you yeah. search hard enough for those microbrews, yeah. they always try so, to like sneak in innuendos somewhere along the line. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I will. I will also say this. You know, we we talked about um, Venezuela at the beginning of the show and what to do. You know, in, in terms of you know going out into the country and opening uh, your own. You know, funding your own business out there and then defending it against encroachment uh, with an AK. And I would say any of these businesses, you know, where where they're incurring a financial burden based on the shutdown. Uh, just find an underground way to sell those beers, right? If you're sitting on, what was it? 120,000, uh, well, oh, wait, a thousand cases worth $30,000 worth of beer, uh, find someone to buy that thousand cases, right? At a discount maybe. So you don't lose as much, uh, but find an underground distributor, find a, a friendly bar that's willing to take one or two and just, you know, sell it on the side or, you know, or something like that, or, you know, make your money back. Make your money back as best as you can. You know, the uh, getting the beer shipped uh, from wherever it is to wherever, just go ahead and ship it. Find, find someone willing to, you know, drive that shipment over um, regardless of what they say. And, again, find someone to buy it. I'm, I'm, you know, even if, again, I, I go back to the underage thing, even if you're selling it, to, you know, to a bunch of high school kids because, number one, they don't care. They're glad to get it. Um, and, number two, you can charge them more because they're glad to get it. You know, <laughs> right? If, if you're sitting on thirty, you're not going to find a high school kid with thirty thousand uh, dollars. But you could easily make that back and more if you just, you know, sell it to the right people who get it to their hands. So, yeah, good good luck with that. <laughs> how hard can it be? High school kids all over the place. It's not. I don't think that. Uh, I I I know millennials get grief uh, for being a you know bunch of pansies, but I'm sure there's a handful of them that that still like to drink on occasion. It's not like that's yeah. gone out the window. I don't know. It, and if they're banning flavored vapes because too many young people are doing it, 
I think it I think it is a different world now. I think it's much less than it used to be. Um yeah, I don't know. I maybe maybe I just need to go to some more uh uh college parties or something and see what it's like cuz it doesn't seem like it's as popular anymore. All right. I mean, fair enough. I'm I'm as disconnected from that world as you are. Uh, yeah, but if they go, go back to school. Yeah. Billy Madison, that stuff. Yeah. If if only you could be that cool. I, you know, with all, okay, so again, I want to say with all the laws that they're passing, like if they're banning flavored vapes for the children, right? Not that, (laughs) not that I'm for that, um, but they must, they must have some um, data pointing to young people smoking, right? If alcohol consumption, you know, if the, if the legal age is still 21 and they're still worried about that, and looking to raise that in places, um, then and then underage alcohol consumption must there must be a data point somewhere. No, am I wrong? Are they they just no data, just fear mongering? Well, I I believe some it if of were, it, but some of it, some data. Some of it is driven by the tobacco industry because, of course, flavor vapes taste better than cigarettes. Uh, yeah, so right? people used to buy menthol. So they want to, yeah, they want to hurt the the vape industry as much as they can. And so, yeah, I'm sure there's, there's money, uh, being spent on, on, uh, uh, what's the word? I don't know. Trying to get politicians to do stuff. Oh, lobbying. Lobbying. Yeah. I couldn't think of the word. Sorry. (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure money is being spent lobbying politicians and, and the politicians, of course, like I said, they've got nothing better to do. Uh, I, you know what? I, I was thinking about this recently a lot because of uh, the, the whole Tulsi Gabbard. She's a Hawaii uh, politician. She's running for president. And one of the, the biggest arguments that the local newspapers hear, that they keep pushing it, and the Republicans grab onto it too, is that uh, Tulsi Gabbard is bad because she doesn't have any accomplishments. Well, she, okay. she hasn't been in a super long time, but so she doesn't have any accomplishments. I'm like, well, at least she isn't banning vapes and cigarettes. You know, I mean, there's lots of politicians with stupid accomplishments that would probably uh, be better off without. Um, So, yeah, I don't want anybody to to vote for for, uh, Tulsa Gabbard, but I just want people to, I guess, have a different perspective on, on... you know, reason. <laughs> sure. Well, I mean, they, they, they say the same thing, uh, you know, about Trump, right? Like before he got elected, one of the biggest, uh, uh, well, he wasn't points, a politician with, yeah, so. well, he wasn't a politician, right? How can you elect not a politician, uh, to office? They clearly don't know how to run things having not been ever been a politician, and yet, you know, the, the as far as that being like a con, the pro side of that, right, is well, he's not a politician, right? He doesn't, right. you know, he he doesn't have a record of of you know all this you know, negativity associated with the lying, stealing, thieving, you know, politicians. Like he doesn't have that. So it was, you know, the the you know the the same thing, the same argument can be used for both in favor and against um, someone. So Tulsi Tulsi. Um, who, you know, doesn't have a lot of accomplishments, you know, as a politician, right, they would say, well, that's a negative, 
right? Look, she hasn't done anything. She hasn't passed any laws. She hasn't introduced any bills. She hasn't done anything. Um, and then the other side, you go like, well, she's not like you, right? She's not your average everyday politician. She's one of us, uh, one <laughs> of the people, right, out there fighting for your best interest, which is why she hasn't accomplished anything because they're all fighting against your interests and so on and so forth. Um, and again, who needs her? Right. Like uh, one of our uh, mutual friends posted something about her and it was a quote saying like, you know, the, the United States shouldn't be meddling in the affairs of Venezuela. Right. Like they should, you know, let the Venezuelans figure it out for their own. Um, and I w and, you know, so I commented on that. I was like, well, politicians shouldn't be meddling in the lives of the people then, you know, mm -hmm. as a politician, your whole job is to meddle. Um, why don't you know if you really feel that way if you yeah. really feel that way about you know venezuelan and the venezuelan people then you should have similar feelings for americans and american people stay out of it um, stay out of it you wouldn't be a politician and now that you are one uh, i'm sure i'm sure her voting record at some point when she gets you know more time in there uh, will bear out the fact that you know she's just like everybody else right even the whole um, aoc phenomenon alexandria ocasio cortez right ran on a platform of 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 um defunding uh immigration services right because those illegals and then what does she get a vote for she gets to vote for it and what does she vote for she votes to refund uh to fund more uh you know venezuela uh illegal immigration services right the or the yeah immigration and and what is it Immig ice whatever ice stands for i can't think of it right now Mm -hmm. immigrations and customs right she goes like those people are immoral and we need to shut them down and then as soon as she gets elected here's more money for them so you know politicians do what politicians do um and at some point private citizens need to do what private citizens should do uh, and that's defend against you know the real encroachment um the real encroachment isn't coming from syria isn't coming um you know from mexico it isn't coming from venezuela it's coming from within uh, and, you know, no wall is going to stop that and no immigration service is going to stop that. And no war in the Middle East is going to stop that. It's, you know, people, people changing the mindset uh, back to freedom, back to liberty, you know, in order to, to get that ship righted. Anything else? Nope. All right. Let's do one more then. Because speaking of people running for president and how stupid they are uh, politically, Kamala Harris. Prices are inhumane. This is going to end well. Uh, thanks to Kamala Harris for saying so clearly what she believes. We're not picking on her. Others believe precisely the same thing. She doesn't believe that prices, the price system, and free markets are humane. She doesn't believe that freedom and capitalism, or she doesn't believe in freedom and capitalism. What's the alternative? The force of government. That makes Harris a socialist or communist. Despite entire countries being impoverished under socialist and communist rule, Harris and others ignore the fact that government brings about massive misery and unhappiness when it orders the production and allocation of goods financed by taxation and subject to innumerable controls and regulations. All such systems cause immense corruption, too. Here's what she said. It's inhumane to make people go through a system where they cannot literally receive the benefits of what medical science can offer because some insurance company has decided it doesn't meet their bottom line in terms of the profit motivation. The price system combined with private compassion is far, far less inhumane than communism. Communism is brutal and cruel, reducing human beings to barbaric conditions. 
Capitalism results in unbelievable increases in wealth and goods at prices affordable to everyone. People who cannot survive on their own, which happens for a variety of reasons, have greater access to compassionate care under capitalism. America's history of charitable and philanthropic institutions shows this clearly. Harris's maternal instinct is no problem if she exercises it herself in her private life, but not if she applies it to everyone through government. On a society-wide scale, the communism she's advocating runs into insufferable difficulties, creating extremely inhumane results. Economic goods cost, which Harris ignores. If prices are abandoned, producers have no way of discovering what to produce and in what quantities, where and when to produce it, and what innovations might be worthwhile. Uh, if government decides it could be using up vast resources to prolong the lives of 90-year-olds while skimping on the measures and innovations that may extend the lives of teenagers. Or it could be ordering the opposite, euthanasia. Lacking the profit motivation that Harris criticizes, government bureaucrats have no means of deciding economic decisions in ways that produce greater happiness. Government disconnects the consumers of medical goods from the producers, preventing people from making the decisions that improve their happiness. For the benefit of medical science to be spread more widely among poorer people, the costs have to be reduced. This can be done by removing government from medical markets. Harris and others propose Medicare for All. Medicare for All eliminates private insurers under the Sanders version. The market disappears. Other proposals vary in their operation. The communists who back Medicare for All like the fact that the slogan is ambiguous. Adam Green, a co-founder of the leftist progressive change campaign committee, says that Medicare for All's ambiguity serves as one of its greatest strengths. There is, there is a pleasant ambiguity and more of a North Star goal nature around Medicare for All, Green contended, that really does not need to be a huge intra-party battle. Why get in the weeds during the campaign? It's downright evil to sneak in communism through slogans appeal while intentionally hiding its real content. Uh, so we've covered uh, end of the article. We've we've covered you know the the medical travesty that is the United States healthcare system in the past. Um, but is is she bold or brazen, MC, in declaring that the price mechanism uh, for medical uh, care or anything for that matter is inhumane? Mm. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. Or stupid? Does she yeah, does she understand stupid. what she's saying? I mean, there, yeah, there's a lot of people that want to demonize capitalism. Um, no shortage. So, yeah, of that. there's 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 people that that believe it, and uh, yeah, it's like go go ahead, um, uh, stop using money, stop using prices altogether, and and just you know just try to take care of somebody, see how easy it is. Um, I think it's much easier when there's there's prices and there's ways to compare uh, economic economically which uh which options are are more favorable um sure but if there were no prices mc you could just go down to whatever store you wanted and grab whatever you wanted because well there wouldn't be a store (laughs) that's the problem (laughs) i mean venezuela approved that (laughs) (laughs) it's a it's amazing it's it's amazing um you know the the time we live in right especially now with the hell that is Venezuela being able to basically compare everything to that as the failed model, right? Like hey, you want socialism, you want communism. Look what happened in Venezuela. Look what's happening. It's like, it's, it's ongoing. Like, we, you know, we've, we've been talking about Venezuela on this uh, show for years now. 
because it's it's something there is always going on that proves the point of socialism failing, uh, capitalism, you know, maybe not the best, depending on, you know, your perspective, maybe there's something better out there. Um, but in my opinion, right now, it's the best system available, uh, given, given the constraint of scarce resources, right? Yeah. It's like, well, if, if, Let's let's say we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Okay, Maduro is is he's gone way past communism and socialism, and he's he's a totalitarian now. So it's it's all his fault. Okay, but all the people there, they 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 might all be socialists and communists. So so why don't they just give? Why don't they just start producing all these services and not charge money for it? It's a good question. Where because it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> it's, well, and it, does, it doesn't work. It has to and be so hundred. Yeah, there's plenty of doctors. Uh, well, I don't know how, how about now, but there was a lot of doctors in, in Venezuela. Some of them uh, went to Colombia to prostitute themselves so they could have enough resources to come back to Venezuela and try to help, you know, doctor people up again. So, <laughs> I th you know, there there was a there was an old clip from like Gilligan's Island. Oh, man. He was basically like explaining capitalism to some like, you know, th uh, third world despot dictator. And he basically said, you know, what you, you know, in, in order for trade to work is you have to find what your, you know, what, what abundance you have in your own natural resource. And then that's where the trade comes in. So, yeah. uh, so it's not even just, um, you know, post scarcity. It's what, what do you have to offer, you know? Like, could could people in Venezuela produce things for free and give it away for free? Um, sure. But what does Venezuela have, you know, in, in terms of natural resources that can be traded? Right. Like I always I, I think about it, like, you know, back back in the old days. Right. Whereas like, you know, the blacksmith uh, and the, the farmer and, you know, the other the, the cobbler. Right. Like, where did those resources come from for them to be able like where where did the blacksmith get the metal to make the tools? You know, where did, you know, farmer, obviously, you know, but the cobbler, where did, where did they get the materials to, to build the shoes? And, the, the, you know, somewhere along the line, there has to be, you know, resources that someone either discovers um, or, you know, exist in nature as it is that can be, you know, harnessed or harvested and then traded. So you can't, you, and that's where the price mechanism comes into play. That's why capitalism um, works for the most part. Because you go like, well, what do you have versus what do I need? Um, and then can can the trade occur? And so, you know, to answer your questions, like, could Venezuelans make stuff for free? Yeah, but where are they going to get the resources, right? What do, what do they currently have to trade to other countries uh, surrounding them or, or anywhere else, you know, locally even, uh, to get the resources that they would need? And who's willing to give those up for free as well, uh, knowing that there's an international marketplace where those wares can be traded for a uh, much greater value. And then there's the, the other problem of uh, the U.S. sanctions on Venezuela, which which I'm, I'm against. Sure. They're not allowed, right? By, de by decree, you're not allowed. And that doesn't even, make sense. Even if you want to trade with Maduro, you can't. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, uh, it's like, like the Cuban embargo that lasted for 50-some-odd years. Right. Why can't we have Cuban goods? Why can't Cubans have our goods? Why can't Venezuela... Because, you know, some political, you know, dictator, despot, politician decreed it to be so. Uh, and I think the other, the other quote that I wanted to bring up at the beginning was, you know, the 
no matter what the situation, make sure they make sure the soldiers are paid, right? As long as you know, as long as the enforcers of the law uh, aren't being furloughed, uh, aren't missing checks, um, you know, then then the the system continues. Final thoughts? We're long on time. Right, I'm ready. All right. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. You guys know where to find us. Anarchistexperience.com, minds.com slash the anarchist experience and Patreon still on Patreon. Uh, everyone else folding. We're hanging in there because we don't get paid much. <laughs> Patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Uh, thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to y'all next week. Peace.